Welcome to episode 234 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. The moment has finally come where we are entering the final episode on David Murray's book, Reset. This is the last book cast for now. For now. Just for yeah, now. Yeah. We're ready to pull out of the repair bays, ready to get out on the road and live life. <laughs> I feel like Mr. Murray would be proud of that. You did like an amazing so. segue into that. Because actually, before we get started, that's a good way of saying we're, we're finishing this book today. And we're in chapter 10, or what he calls Repair Bay 10. It ends with resurrection, which on Mr. Murray's part is super clever. I want to affirm him in the way that he put that all together. But the, I would say that the whole point of everything we've been talking about, everything we've been laboring over and reading and discussing is to stop the actual reset process and then to use all the benefits of reset as we go yep. out into the world to serve and to love others and to live this grace-paced life. If the goal is to live that life, then at some point we got to move out of the garage and actually get on the road. So kudos to you, sir, for building that segue right at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a, this is a totally rabbit trail, but there's a concept in business and psychology called, uh, escalating commitments to negative outcomes. Yes. And, uh, it, basically the idea is like you start to see a negative outcome coming in the future and you just keep on thinking if you just pour more resources, more time, more time, more resources into it that you can kind of get out from underneath it. And a lot of times it, it takes like hitting the bottom before you realize you can't do that. And it reminds me like th there's this house, you know, this house well, but there's this house next door that uh, it, it used to be this old inn built in the 1800s. And this couple used to own it and live there. And they they just sunk money and money and money and money and money into it. And I mean, they got enough money. I'm not worried about that for them. But they just sunk tons of cash into it before they finally realized they were never going to renovate it. They were never going to accomplish what they had set out to do with it. And they cut their losses and, and they moved and sold the building. And, and, and that is not the picture of what David Murray is trying to accomplish with this book, right? <laughs> David right. Murray is saying... There is an end to this process. There's a positive outcome. We go, we work the process and the process works. And now the point of that is now so we can get back out there and get back to our lives, get back to a healthier pace, a healthier lifestyle, a healthier perspective on things and live life. So I'm excited that we're coming to an end of it. Uh, I'm excited that we are ready to move on to some other topics and some other projects that we've got cooking. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. So we've been saying all along, too, that at the end of this whole process, by the grace and the generosity of the publisher, we're going to give away a copy of this book so that you could share it with somebody else. And again, hopefully do your own little book cast, your own little time of debriefing it and discussing it with them. So tell the fine brothers and sisters as we're ending here how they can get involved in the giveaway. Yes, you can go to reformedbrotherhood.com slash contest. And uh, this contest will run until, I believe it's midnight Eastern time on Saturday the 17th. So Jesse and I will record the next episode on the 18th and we'll draw a winner and we'll announce it on the show. So you have to listen to the show to win. I'm not going to email you. So if you don't listen to the show, uh, we're going to just keep drawing until someone who actually listens to the show and responds to our uh, vocal call on the show uh, contacts us to claim their prize. But if you listen to the show, uh, that will release on the 21st of April and you are a winner, you'll hear your name. So we're, we're excited. We're grateful that Crossway has provided this uh, book to give away. We think it's a, a an awesome resource. Yes. Uh, we think it would be a great gift for you to give. This. I think everybody knows someone in their life that is struggling with, with burnout, either they've reached burnout or they're headed towards burnout. Uh, it's probably your pastor, uh, in this, in this pandemic age. <laughs> it re true. I mean, I, I don't mean to be like pejorative, no, like true. it really probably is pastors in all sorts of ways are, are constantly on the threshold of burnout. And especially this last year, trying to learn how to be media moguls, not media moguls, like they make rap songs or something, but like media, <laughs> like social media moguls, uh, you know, visual arts moguls trying to put together these zoom streams and stuff. Um, it's been a tough time. So if you win this book and you don't have a copy of it, uh, please, please, please 
uh, read it. If you do have a copy, if you've been following along, please consider uh, identifying someone in your uh, life that you can give your your prize to and help them through it and work through it with them. Like this is a this is a book that I found works best if you're able to talk through uh, some of the concepts with people for sure, um, and you're able to sort of bounce ideas. You're able to have someone who can look into your life and help you identify the blind spots that you may not be able to see. So yeah. Uh, get your entry in. It's not one of those like you got to jump through a lot of hoops. You don't have to follow or like. Well, you do have to follow, but you don't have to like us on anything. You don't have to you don't have to share it with 30 friends. You don't have to take a picture of yourself and you know send it to us in the mail. You just end up uh, visiting us on Facebook, uh, visiting us on Instagram or liking us or following us on Twitter. And then you get your three entries. So check it out. Reformbrotherhood.com slash contest. You don't even have to like us generally. Yeah, that's true. Like not at I, mean, all, I don't know actually. why you'd be listening to us at 234 episodes eh, if you don't like us generally, true. but it's possible. Somebody may have jumped in. The bottom line is in love. God has predestined somebody to win this book. <laughs> so we're going along with that promise in, in that. Trace. So true. I know that everybody's thinking at this point, would you just get to some affirmations denial? So let's at least do that. And I'm going to flip it a little bit. And I would love to start with you if you're willing, but let's go negative first. What are you denying this week? So, this is not going to surprise anybody, and it, it is what it is. I'm denying Wayne Grudem. I had a, a reason to go back and reread <laughs> some of his chapter on uh, the Trinity and his systematic theology, um, and I, I had this opportunity to respond to someone who asked me a question about it, and I went back and read it, and I came across this gem of a sentence, right? So, so keep in mind, Wayne Grudem's whole thesis in this chapter, as far as EFS goes, is one, that EFS is not heresy, and two, that it is actually the true understanding of the Nicene Creed. And three, he does not teach that there are multiple wills in, in the Godhead. There's not multiple divine wills. So here's a quote. It's from page 489 on the Kindle version. I don't know if that's the same in the, um, in the hardcover paperback one. But it says, quote, I see no reason why the one will in God's nature could not will that the person of the father would will to send the person of the son into the world or to gain redemption or uh, to gain our redemption and also will that the person of the son would will to come to earth in response to that sending by the father. Well, I don't know about you, but I counted three distinct wills just in that sentence, right? There's the divine <laughs> will. There's the divine will of the, of the nature, the, the so-called unified will of the divine nature that he claims is the only will in the Trinity. Right. But that will is willing for another entity, one of the persons to will. So not, now not only do the father and the son have distinct wills from each other, but neither of those wills are identical with the one divine will. So so uh, one of the issues that, that we run into with Wayne Grudem, I've said it before, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful and charitable. He's just not a competent systematic theologian. He's not a careful thinker. Um, he doesn't seem to really understand th these these sort of like logical implications that come out of this. But even in this one sentence, you can see he's not very careful because there's a, a sentence that clearly is saying, why doesn't why can't the one will will to will another person to will something? Well, those are different wills. Those are distinct wills. If one will is willing this person to will something else, either that or what he's done is he's actually committed the error that the fifth or sixth ecumenical council accused some people of, of collapsing creaturely wills, particularly the, the, the creaturely will of Christ into the divine will. So they're actually one and the same thing ending up with Christ having a single will in the incarnation and that and, and as as predestinarians as good augustinians all creaturely wills actually just yes. being uh, some aspect of the divine will in right. action. So so either he's doing that which I don't think he is. I don't at least I don't think he's trying to um or he's now postulated a plurality of wills and here's where it comes down to. We have him saying that he agrees that a plurality of wills in the Trinity is not correct. We have Al Mohler back in the day of, of defending these guys saying that a plurality of wills in the Godhead would indeed be heresy. And we have people like Kyle Clonch who affirm that, yeah, this this EFS theology and not even disagreeing with it. This EFS theology entails a plurality of wills within the Godhead. So it's radically clear. Anyone who who reads it with a little bit of a critical eye can see what's going on. So I'm just denying Again, Wayne Grudem and EFS and the lack of care uh, to, to maintain and preserve Christian orthodoxy that's demonstrated in this book. That's fair. I, I think it's good for many of our listeners to hear you say that because it's helpful to know that or be reminded maybe as well that if you haven't introduced this, this before, that we need to be evaluating that at the end of the day, the scripture is not just 
the thing which we trust. But I think Calvin said, actually, I'm going to borrow from this chapter. I think this idea of like the scripture is the way in which we read all these things. We understand all these things. It's the glasses or the lens through which we look, not just the thing that we read itself. And so here's another great example. So always everywhere, I was going to try to make up like an ABC thing, like the always be closing, like always be evaluating uh, ABS or no, not ABS or ABT. Always be testing. Yeah. Always be testing. That's ABC, Pauline. We'd have to do something like ABCD. Always be carefully discerning. There we go. <laughs> that's actually really, Always really be good. carefully discerning. Yeah, that's that's really good. Can we file that under the bumper sticker thing? I think over the course of 234 episodes, we come up with so many bumper stickers, right? Or potential yeah. bumper stickers. This phrase, heretofore, is permanently trademarked by the Reformed Brotherhood. All rights reserved. A, D, Always be carefully discerning. <laughs> All right, Jesse, what about you? What are you denying today? Well, obviously, it's got to be in that rubric now because what you just said was really good. I'm actually denying against like myself, I think, because I don't want anybody to ever think when I bring like a theological denial, which I'm about to do here, that I'm not also like intimately in the group of which I'm actually denying. And so here's the denial is I'm kind of denying against this idea to like elevate the gospel, which sounds in many ways blasphemous, but the denial is the gospel itself, like the story, the narrative of what God has done has no power apart from God himself. So yeah. I've been kind of listening recently to this talk of like the gospel, everything to a place like it's the gospel that changes people. People need to hear the gospel. This is all true. But you realize, of course, that the power of the gospel lies behind the one who is promulgated, the one who has accomplished everything in the story of it. The narrative itself means nothing. And in fact, many times actually does literally mean nothing to people unless God himself comes and does the changing of the heart right. and the regeneration, which empowers that message to have its efficacious fruit in our lives. So I'm kind of denying against this language is kind of like, you know, like the gospel is the answer. We're like, well, isn't the gospel the encapsulation of what God has done and God himself is the answer? So yeah. is that super nuanced and nerdy? Kind no. of, right? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> That's great. As I was saying that and giving you the question, I, you were shaking your head and I was like, oh yeah, this is already <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right on, right? That's what, uh, what, you know, we believe, right? The, the Bible is, uh, men are convinced that the Bible is the word of God, not by the temporal, uh, consistency of it, the, uh, the majesty of the whole, the scope yes. of the whole, right? Yes. The, the physicalness, the things accessible to us by our reason. That's not what convinces us that the scriptures are the word of God, right? It's the spirit acting and convincing us by and through the word of God itself, testifying to our spirits that it is the word of God. And so the gospel has no power unless the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us of it. Exactly. Truth. So you're, you're right on. I mean, you're, you're totally right. It's just odd because like, I think some elevate it because they realize appropriately so that it is the truth. But the fact that it's the truth, the problem is, is it's the adventures in Romans one, right. we are blinded to the truth. So we, we want to elevate the truth, but in so much as we understand that the one who progenerates the truth is God himself. And so that's like the rub is I've just been hearing recently a lot of this. I'm like, what we need is more of the gospel. And I'm thinking, what we need is more of God. We need his Holy yeah. Spirit to come and transform and change and regenerate people's lives. It's faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And yet at the same time, we understand that the ability to hear and perceive and to know and to trust comes first from the Holy Spirit. So yeah. I think we've said before, we're reformed, not because we think, this is even like the best way to encapsulate all the scriptures, but because we think that it is the truth of the scriptures yeah. and it best summarizes, we don't need, in other words, we don't need systematic theology to prove the Bible is right. What we need is systematic theology that understands the Bible rightly. And so that is reformed theology. And so, so much of that sets, of course, into action, how we understand the order salutis and the, the appropriate kind of logical steps that follow. Yeah. And so for me, the gospel almost comes after that, so to speak, because it's God who illuminates the gospel to right. mean something, to be relevant into our lives, because it is the truth, but we fail to see the truth. So yeah. was that yeah. like a huge weird denial or was that? No, I mean, it's it's like, it's adventures in Romans 1, but it's more so it's <laughs> adventures in Romans 10, right? Paul's whole point, Paul's Touché. whole point when he says faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, it, that's all good and well. And we usually stop there with our memory yes, verse. Yes. But immediately after that, 
He says, but have I, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to the earth and the worlds to the end of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First yes. Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. His whole point is that preaching is necessary, but it is not the sufficient cause of salvation. Yes, exactly. Right? He, exactly. he puts this up. He says, you know, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? And then it says, we need preachers, but more so than preachers without the spirit of Christ, without the spirit of God turning people to, to the truth, then, then they don't know, they don't hear. Um, and it's actually in, in that passage, it's interesting. I don't want to turn this into the whole episode, but it's interesting. His point is actually that it's the people who you would anticipate not coming to Christ, yes. or coming, you know, coming to faith that yes. actually do. It's a people who are not obedient, it's a people who are contrary that the Holy Spirit changes. So you're, 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 you don't even need to nuance it. You're just basically paraphrasing Romans 10. <laughs> Good enough. Listen, I've got to transition us to affirmations because there's like 10 more things I want to say about that. <laughs> and it would be some, let's just table that for a future episode. Cause that would be a really wonderful conversation. So let's get positive, positive, positive. <laughs> what do you got? That's an affirmation on this episode. So this is quick. It's a book recommendation. Um, this is a book that I think will become a, uh, if you don't know the name Adonis Vidu, you're going to very shortly. He um, was my professor at Gordon Conwell. He's a really crisp, systematic theologian. Uh, he recently published a book that is it's everywhere. Like I, if you haven't seen it online, then I'm not sure you're even online. Um, the, the book is called <laughs> The Same God Who Works All Things. And it is a it's a theological treatise and re retrieval of the doctrine of inseparable operations. And it's it's phenomenal. It's it's super good. Um, people like Scott Swain, Fred Sanders, um, you know, heavy hitting analytical and systematic theologians are saying that this will become the standard text uh, to address this issue. Uh, and there's never been a book length treatment that uh, Adonis was able to identify in his research uh, on specifically on inseparable operations. So pick it up. It's not cheap, but it is worth it. Um, we had a, a small mini ETS conference yesterday. He did a, a plenary address for us, and it was just phenomenal. And he went through and just very plainly proved that the, the a hard a hard doctrine of inseparable operations, right? There's a soft version uh, where you know all the three persons of the Trinity are working together, but they're still doing their own thing. But but their own thing works harmoniously with the other two. That's the soft version. The hard version is that every person is actually doing the work of God, the actual work of God. It's the same work done in a way appropriate to each person, each person doing the work in a way appropriate to their own, uh, their own motive of subsistence that preserves the gospel such that if we lose inseparable operations, Wayne Grudem, I'm talking to you, we actually lose the gospel <laughs> itself. So, so check it out. The book is phenomenal. I'm only like halfway through the first chapter. It's just that, it's just that meaty of a book. Um, but it's, it's good. And, and Adonis is a, is a, he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's yes. not a systematic theologian that you're going to find. That's just an academic. Uh, this is all about piety and devotion to, to God, but he is convinced as you and I are theology has to be in place. You have to know the God that you're, you're serving right. in order to serve, serve him properly. Right. Well, obviously I can get behind that. First of all, because the name Adonis should be affirmed oh, every day of the week and twice on the Lord's day. That's just like a super sweet name, but uh, these things are important. I, I think sometimes we have the sense that these things seem heady and they're on the margin. I think there's such a benefit and we've talked about this before reading over your head and trying to understand and appropriate for yourself these concepts. And when you do so and you wrestle through complicated matters that at yeah. that first you thought, I'd never be interested in that. Why do I even need to understand that? It brings you to a place of doxology and appreciation and worship. And I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I think there's something glorious about that. Like it's worth yeah. trying it if you've never had that. So if all this seems like totally strange to you, pick up a copy of that. I, I think I am after you give that really glorious recommendation. Yeah. It's certainly worth reading and trying to wade through some of that stuff. Yeah. And I will definitely be doing an interview with him at some point. Um, I know that the guilt, grace, gratitude guys have already recorded, I believe a book club episode with them. Um, so, so that'll be coming out. Um, I would anticipate soon. I'm not sure when the release date is. Um, he's on all sorts of podcasts. He, like I said, if you don't know his name, if you're anywhere yeah. in evangelicalism, uh, sort of the reformed 
side of evangelicalism that's interested in in systematic theology, you're going to run into his name soon. I know right. he's working on articles for places like the Gospel Coalition. He wrote he wrote for Credo Magazine. I mean, all of the big online magazines that you're used to reading, he's he's starting to get involved in. Um, I think he's at the cusp of kind of exploding into onto the scene as one of the big names in, in the sort of tier of people like Scott Swain, uh, Fred Sanders, um, Mike Horton. He, he works a lot with Mike Horton. Um, he's presented at big conferences with Mike Horton. So, so right. check it out. It's super good. It is a difficult book. Um, I will tell you it, you're, you're punch. I'm punching above my weight class on this one. And I, I studied directly under him and I'm still having to go through this at about, you know, two, two or three pages, every couple 10 minutes or so. It's, it's not an easy read, but you're right. You're gonna, you're gonna pay dividends on it. And he really is focused on making sure he presents this as a biblical doctrine first and then unfolding and exploring what exactly this means, how this has implications for how we read our Bible, how we pray, right, exactly. you know, what, what this is. And he does a really good job of proving that this is actually the classical doctrine that, that the church is hold. Bruce Ware, I'm talking to you, right? So, <laughs> so check it out. It's worth the read. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm actually going to put a, a link in the show notes to the cheapest place to find it. It's All not right. Amazon right now. It's uh, I think it's Christian book uh, is the easiest place and the least expensive place to find it. So I'm going to put up a link. Um, and then hopefully we'll be getting him uh, for an interview within the next like maybe month or two. That's what I'm talking about, because here's the thing. I think we can all agree. Yes, his name is exploding. Yes, he's going to become somebody that you're going to be more aware of. Have any of those podcasts done the definitive interview? <laughs> no, that's no. really our domain that that comes. The definitive stuff really comes under our purview. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, we're we're the only people allowed to be definitive. <laughs> That's all I was thinking when you were saying that. I was like, yeah, but he hasn't had a conversation with us yet. So <laughs> like, we're going to hold that up as like the definitive experience. Well, yes. let me tack onto that really briefly and say that my affirmation, also a book, why wouldn't it be? Because you and I, of course, don't set up a lot of like pre-gaming for this. We just know that our affirmation denials are always going to align because God is good to us. So I'm going to hold up my affirmation more for you. It's also, it's also a book, but I just kind of want you to see this version of this book. Can you see this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so nice. Yes, so I'm rereading The Attributes of God by Arthur W. Pink. But here's the thing I just realized because I was going through a bunch of my books and trying to pare things down in the library, which is like a decision nobody should have to make in life, honestly. But I'm, I'm paring down my library and I found this version. It's from 1975, this publishing. Wow. The, the cover, like, look at this bad boy. Do you, do, you see, do you see this lovely artwork? It's like, I know. It has the tabernacle and then like a giant flame of fire, like the pillar of fire over the tabernacle and this book, this book. I mean, this is like in some ways like a cheap affirmation because it's just yeah. so good. That should be like the default affirmation, right? We shouldn't yeah. have to say it, but in terms of like a devotional resource, it's such a slender volume. It goes through all these lovely attributes of God and it just rocks my world every time I read it. So I'm just affirming with once again, pick up a copy of this bad boy. I almost feel like so where I live in, in the summer season, they do this thing where like people come from all over the world, literally all over the world to show their Corvettes. There's a lot of like car showing type things that happen here. Where's like the book showing? Cause I want to bring this bad boy out. Like it's got this bright, what is this? Like a bright blue sky yeah. blue. It's got this like really seventies graphic art of like the tabernacle <laughs> and a giant flame. I want to be like, where's the group that gets together and just says like, show me your old version, especially like 1970s versions of like classic Puritan and like reformed, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's yeah. a certain era yeah. where you want to say like, oh my goodness, a publisher would never put that on their cover now because it just is like too weird and antiquated. Yeah. I, I remember this. for a while, I think it was Baker. Every book they published, this is Baker. every book they published looked like the cover of a left behind novel. <laughs> it just had that like same format where it was like this is some Baker. sort of picture with yes. like, with like a, you know, like thin lines. It was that same yes. aesthetic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. true. This is it. So true. You, you've heard from us today a lot of book-related affirmations, and that's always good because books, for the most part, are so good to us. And of course, we're finishing up David Murray's Reset, and this chapter is called Resurrection. So let's get into a little resurrection. So what say you? you you've read this chapter. We're processing this whole book together, and this is the way he wants to wrap it all up. So give me the thing that when you read this, you were like, this is what stood out and kind of tied everything together. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of a bone to pick, actually. So we'll start with that. Let's pick that bone first. We'll start with that, and then we'll get on to the good stuff. So I actually don't like that he calls this chapter resurrection and and relies on the resurrection language. How dare you, sir? Because I I actually think... I think it sort of, and I, I I say this with all respect with to Dr. Murray. I, I I don't think he was going for this, but I think it kind of cheapens the reality of resurrection, right? And he's he's using this language because he's had people say to him, "Well, it's kind of this was kind of like a mini resurrection." And what they mean is like it was like a new lease on life, like it was for it was sure. a glimpse of the balance and the the wholeness that I'm going to see when my body is resurrection resurrected on the last day and all things are made right. And I understand why he's going that direction, but at the same time, uh, it seems like there's an underemphasis in this chapter on the ongoing nature. And I say this with all of what we said earlier about there needing to be an endpoint to the reset process. Right. It, it seems like it it sort of underemphasizes the fact that like this isn't a one and done, permanently fixed kind of thing. So I maybe would have called this chapter resuscitation or or recovery or something that has that same idea, that same new lease on life motif here, but I wouldn't have used the resurrection language because I do think one of the things as I was reading it is like, I just kept on, you know, all of the, all of the little section headings are new, this new, that new, new conscience, new honesty, new pace, new, new perspective. It's all about how like things have been reset and how we're in this new frame of thinking. But at the same time, we aren't entirely right. This is going to be an ongoing process where you, and he started the whole book off by talking about how he thought that he had made all these positive changes and then he ended up in the hospital again. So that's the only kind of bone that I would pick with this is I think it's, let's just laugh at this. It's almost too definitive, right? It's almost too, it's almost (laughs) too wrapped up with a bow, right? It's, it's too much like, you're done with the process. Now you've got all these new perspectives. Now now you right. can get back out on the road and everything's fine. He does say in the chapter, to be fair, you're going to have to pull back into the repair bays once in a while. You're going to have to check in with your right. mechanic to make sure that everything's still working right. Right When you go and you get your tires changed or you get your, your tires rotated, they tell you to come back in, in 50 miles to check the lug nuts. No one ever does it. I don't know anybody that's ever had their wheel fall off their car. Maybe someone has, but they tell you to do that. And so I think that that's kind of... I went into this and I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. But the rest of the chapter, it really is a good chapter. It's a good summary of the whole book. It's of kind course. of, I almost wish that this chapter or or a summary of this would have been front loaded because it's almost like all these new things that he's talking about. You have these new things now that you've completed the process. Right. These are almost like, these are the targets that we should have been shooting for. These are the, these are the goals. This is, you know, you go and you get your, your oil changed at Jiffy Lube and there's like the 33 point check that they do on all the systems on your car. This is the 33, I didn't count them. This is the 33 point check to sort of show that you've completed the reset process. Um, so I, I think it was a good chapter. I think it's a good optimistic chapter, but I, I do, I do worry a little bit that people might read it and be a little bit too, almost too set that they have finished and that they've kind of arrived. And that, that just, I, that's not what he's going for. I don't think, I don't think that that was his intention, but that was kind of the feeling I got from it a little bit. So the risk of like that metaphor turning into a country song that you and I have to compose <laughs> in this case that's really your Jesus. and Conrad's job, isn't it? Yeah, I was gonna say like this is the kind of thing that would happen in Fast God stuff, but like the uh, the mechanic is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Check with your mechanic. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess. Kind of. So let me take the opposite side just for the sake of argument, because I don't disagree with what you're saying here. I interpret, though, maybe possibly what he's saying with his resurrection is he's actually trying to intone or impound that there is like a profound spiritual aspect to this of which only resurrection could describe. And it's not, of course, that we're completely well off now that we have accomplished everything and that somehow we're perfectly made new, but that there's more than just like a self-help at work here. That's not this idea of. Just, you know, if you read this and you eat better and you sleep more, that therefore you're going to be so much more productive. And then like your spiritual ministry will grow to extreme lengths that you didn't perceive were possible if you right. hadn't gone into the repair bay. So it's, I'm with you. It's, it's this bit of like, yes and not yet. Yes, you're, you're, you're understanding like the power of God in your life. And yet, of course, like the full eschatological benefit of what we're talking about here is yet to occur. And so he starts off by recapitulating at least this idea of like the new pace, the grace pace. And he says, the verse above the garage exit reads this. And I'm going to quote him. He says, of course, from the scriptures, do you not know that those who run a race all run, 
but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And then he goes on to say, when we read that verse before entering the garage, all we could think of was a hundred meter sprint and running as fast as we could all the time. But we've learned that life is better viewed as a long distance race and that quite a different pace as well as different skills and tactics is required to run it, enjoy it, finish it and win it, end quote. And so I start there because I think what you're saying, what I'm saying is one of the things that was most shocking all along is because we know that God is a God of infinite power. Like God is just power. That's all that he is. He's full thrust. He's full ability. He's unencumbered. And he's solitary and singular in that way that I think sometimes we appropriate. Well, then when it comes to running, quote unquote, this race or living this life of ministry, then we also should be like all thrust, all power, all pace, all the time. What he's saying is, no, 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 that's not that at all. In fact, you're, you're not being contingent. And what God says of you and what he requests of you is to run in pace, which means not running above or beyond your pace. And I still find that even at the end, somewhat shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he goes on and then naturally transitions into this idea and this sort of reassuring that you might feel a little bit lazy in this new pace. You might yes. feel like you're not yes, actually exactly. doing things because you might, you know, you, you look back. I actually had this experience actually just this morning. Um, you know, I, I've talked about how like one of my pacing struggles is, is my reading, uh, my reading schedule, my reading goals. I, I think that I'm going to read a ridiculously higher amount of works than I do or, or ridiculously faster than I am. And I, I, every once in a while I have to go back and I have to like pare down my reading list and say like, I'm not going to get to this, take it off my task list. Like it's, it's just sitting there staring me in the face, making me feel bad. And I'm actually kind of lying to myself if I think I'm actually going to get this, get to this in this time frame. And so I think, I think he's right that we have to be careful or we might look back at how much we were doing, how much we thought we were accomplishing, how much, uh, how, how fast we thought we were moving, how fast we thought things were growing and realize that we've intentionally pulled back from that. And I think that kind of speaks to the fact that we need to re readjust, reset our understanding of what success even is. And that's why I think this chapter is helpful because each of these different, um, these different new categories that he talks about, each of them really are kind of like a measure of success in, in terms of have we actually done this process? Have we actually accomplished what we set out to do and reoriented ourselves to a a more sustainable pace, a more sustainable target, a more sustainable way of eating, a way of sleeping, all of these different categories we've talked about. If you go through this chapter and I'll admit, I had some times when I was going through this chapter that I was like, I don't think this describes me. Like, I don't think that this this new thing that he says I'm supposed to have, I don't think I have this yet. And so I'm going to have to kind of go back and think through it again. But this is a good sort of rubric for us to look at and say, like, if I don't feel like, right, new contentedness or new contentment, if I don't feel like I'm content with what it is I'm accomplishing, there's two options, right? Either it means that I am being lazy and I need to actually push it a little bit harder, or maybe it means that I need to learn to be content in all things instead of trying to make contentment an end of itself, right? So I think that this is a good sort of litmus test. That's why I almost wish there had been some sort of like, preface at the front that's like here's here's the things that we're shooting towards if you go through this book and you start to see these areas grow then that that tells you that this process is working because like i said i can tell you there are areas that i look at this and i'm like yeah this hasn't new selectivity i i just keep adding books to my list and i know that i'm not going to get to them but i just think i'm going to i need to get better at that because i do end up saying like oh man i feel terrible i feel guilty that i haven't haven't accomplished reading this book in the time frame that right. I want to. Well, no one is imposing that timeline right, on them. Exactly. I'm not a student anymore. I don't have deadlines like that. I don't have, you know, every once in a while, like I have to read reset before we re- you know record the episode. Sometimes there's that stuff, but for the most part, these are all self-chosen deadlines. And I've literally created deadlines that now are making me feel guilty. I have the mm-hmm. power to change them, right? So I'm not being successful at being selective on what I'm committing to in terms of reading or what my deadlines are. So I'm going to have to go back and, and rework through some of this stuff. I'm saying re a lot. Like every word suddenly has the prefix re on it. That's crazy. It's like English doesn't, I, I don't know. English seems to have that a lot now. I think Dr. Murray would be so very proud of, yes. of how far we've come and using that. Uh, of course, like that's something that I resonate in. And I think what you're saying makes sense. 
who it, can we, I think part of the reason why I love it, talking about this stuff with you is because in some ways we're kind of, I hope as people are listening to our conversation, like listening in, like they're being given liberty to say things like it's okay to say, can we just all acknowledge that sometimes we do things for the, the sheer sense of accomplishment right? and not because they've actually added something to our lives. And even with spirituality, we sometimes tend to do that. And so I remember when teaching finance, I would always put, I had to actually grow to this, to this point where I put in the syllabus that the point of the whole course wasn't so that you would be able to pass a test, but that you'd be able to internalize something in the essence of your being and right. be productive and useful in how you live and how you serve others. And some of us need to hear that with respect to the scriptures in the Christian life. Yeah. That it's not just about like some kind of pace where we're like, we read the Bible through every year because, and this is going to sound like it's going to be anathema to some people. Why would we force ourselves in our, in our quote unquote, like daily devotions, which I even have issue with that word, but our daily devotions, why would we force ourselves to read through the scriptures if at the end of the year, we aren't any different than when yeah. we began that year? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that's the harder question to ask. And this is why Dr. Murray's work is like deceptively simple and yet complicated at the same time, yeah. because what he's asking us is, what essentially is the maturity of your Christian walk? If you do all these things, if you know all this stuff, but it really doesn't transform or change who you are, yeah. wherein does the fault lie then? And so yeah. when he's getting into all these questions about asking, you know, what does reset mean? I think he's actually in some ways asking us to reset from our Christian expectations. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, there is sometimes a value in setting a goal simply for the sake of accomplishing something, right? Of course. Accomplishing right. something for the sake of accomplishing it, that that has value sometimes, as long as you recognize that that's the point, right? If you, if you, I remember there was a year, right? I, I became a Christian in 1998, right? The first time I read through the Bible in entirety in a year, I, I think it was like 2017. It wasn't that long ago. I had read the entire Bible over the course of multiple years or piecemeal, like I, I had laid word or laid eyes on and internalized every verse and every page of the Bible. But the first time I actually sat down and said, this is a goal that I'm going to accomplish. There was a point in the year where I said, I had to say to myself, this is not necessarily about a specific spiritual growth right. metric that I can right. measure. What it ended up being was I said to myself, I need to, I need to learn to be disciplined. And part of that is when I set a goal, I need to be, I need to accomplish it. And so there was value in that, but it was really just about the goal. So I, I think we have to free ourselves to acknowledge that. And, and, and we need to sometimes recognize that we think that we're setting goals for some ulterior motive other than just accomplishing something. We need to be honest enough when it is just a desire to accomplish a particular task or reach a certain milestone. That's fine. I know people who have a goal to read the dogmatics, read, read Boving's dogmatics, and they want to do it in a year. I'm like, you're not going to remember any of that. You're not going to read <laughs> right. the dogmatics in right. a year and remember any of it. And that's fine. Maybe that's not your point. Maybe you don't want to remember it. Um, maybe you do. And maybe you need to stretch that goal out to three or four years. Right. But I think you're right. Like we need to have permission from ourselves and, and understand that our conception of what the Christian life is is not is almost certainly not perfect. <laughs> I mean, maybe not almost certainly is not perfect. Like we're never going to have a perfect understanding of what the Christian life is and what it's supposed to be. Not this side of not this side of the resurrection, at least. And so part of what we need to do, right, is readjust our understanding of sanctification. Right. When I came to the conclusion and I, I realized that what the scriptures were teaching was that sanctification is something that God does to us to enable us to grow. It's not. It's not something that we contribute to my good works are not my sanctification. Right. right. And they don't, right. they don't really, they don't really add to my sanctification in a strict sense either. They are the outcome of my sanctification. They're a, they're an indicator of my sanctification. And so they're important. And if they're not there, then I, I have no reason to say sanctification is there, but they're not the cause. That was an incredibly freeing moment for me because mm. all of a sudden I didn't have to walk around we're called to test our fruit. We're called to assess our fruit, right? We are called to do that, but I no longer had to do that in order to test whether I was growing in the faith, right? right? Instead, I could just 
pray and ask God to grow me in the faith and trust right, that he's faithful right. to his word, that he's faithful to complete the good work that he started in me in justification, in sanctification. And and it was at that moment that all of a sudden it seemed to click. All of a sudden it seemed like God was now, now he was pushing forward with sanctification. That's not a formula. It's not, it's not like everybody's going to have that same experience, but for me it was. And I think you're right in this chapter, all of these new perspectives, new things that he is saying should be an outcome of this reset process. Those are all things that we need to free ourselves up to see and to accept because some of them are difficult, like accepting a new pace. That's a right. hard thing for a lot of people. Yes. It's a hard thing for me. Accepting new grace, the fact that that we've been shown grace in this reset process in a way that we ha- probably haven't experienced before. Sometimes that's hard to say like, yeah taking commitments away from my life and giving me less of a sense of accomplishment because I'm not actually accomplishing as much. That's actually grace from the Lord Jesus Christ to, to allow me to run the race longer and to finish the race rather than to just get this leg of the race done faster and, and maybe not finish the race at all. Right. Let's go back. I want to tease it out a bit. Cause I think that's actually really profound. Let's go back all the way to the beginning where Dr. Murray starts with a metaphor using this idea of running and he's of course borrowing in some ways from Paul, but he himself, it sounds like was a runner. He was an athlete at some point in his life. And I think continues to be, of course, because it sounds like he could bench press me. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Cause he's like lifting like three days a week, which I like, I sometimes lift a beer to my mouth, but beyond (laughs) beyond that, I'm not doing like a lot of like explicit lifting. And so I'm thinking back to how he started. And one of the things you just said resonated with that original description. And that is, one of the things they actually tell runners is that if you want to build your endurance, actually even beyond that, if you want to build your cardiovascular health, you want to literally like grow capillaries and the efficiency of capillaries right. in your muscles, that what you actually have to do is run well below your fastest pace. In fact, it'll feel like you're not working hard enough, but it's actually in the ability to run over long distances at a moderate and reasonable pace that seems quote unquote easy where you're actually doing the most good for your body. And I think that's partly what I'm drawing on here is, you know, I think there are a lot of us will think, and I'm just going to be honest, maybe it's just me. So I'll just say it's me. I've sometimes thought, well, you know what? If I'm particularly dutiful and diligent in reading the scriptures, even if let's say like, I'm not getting a lot out of it, but I put in the time and I'm really diligent and I'm really trying to express that I'm worthwhile. It's on those days that I'm going to say, well, of course, you know, God, God always loves me, but here I'm showing God that I'm doing right. something particularly important for his work, that I'm particularly concerned with his will. And the bottom line is like, I am impounding some sense of like meritorious behavior right. that I'm, I'm somehow internalizing that I'm doing something that on those days ingratiates God more towards me, that those days are going to be better or go more in my direction because I've somehow expressed that I really do love God and I've manifest that expression in some demonstrative behavior and really is not the gospel, the exact opposite of that. Right. And like I can couch it in Christianity. And I think what Murray is challenging us here is to say, don't do that thing. Really don't do that thing. In fact, he, he gets to the end of this chapter and he says, and I'm just going to quote him. It's one sentence. He says, they're doing less, but they're accomplishing more, end quote. And that's where I want to be is like this trusting in God, this sense that I do not need to perform for God. And that even when I sense that I am performing with God, that he's doing something in response and he's rewarding me, that is nonsense. That's yeah. not the way God works. And so I want to get in this place where I'm doing less, but accomplishing more because I'm one, focusing on the fact that I'm a contingent being. And I'm too putting all of my trust in God because of the fact that I'm a contingent being. And then beyond that, everything I do is not in any small way, even in the back of my mind saying, God, I'm doing this for you. And therefore you owe me something. There's a reciprocity in our relationship. But that, as he says, I think elsewhere, I get the grade of A to begin with because I deserve the grade of F to begin with. And that by the grace of God and in his mercy of giving him his son and then his Holy Spirit to indwell us, that all of that power that exists, everything that I do has in fact nothing to do with me. It is all by the mercy of God. So turning this over to begin with is really the thing that gets us ahead in life. It's not because we've tried to work really hard to understand complex theological topics. Everything, anything, all the things that we have and understand are because God is good to us and he does this monogistically. And I think some, in the course of 234 conversations that you and I have had, have one of the things that people push back on us the most of is what you just said, that sanctification is monergistic, right? 
people pushed back on us on that and yeah. said like, oh, yeah. well, we're, we're doing something, right? Isn't it something like this manifestation of the fruit? Who grows the fruit? Right. Like e even in so much as we say like, God, I surrender to you. The fact that we can be surrendered and conquered is because God himself has done the conquering. And Murray is at that. He's after that in this book. And as he's wrapping it up in this chapter, he's, he's saying to us, listen, be about that thing. But understand that in being about that thing, the only reason you can be about that thing is because God has already conquered you. That right. he has, in fact, done all of the heavy lifting. It's monergistic in that way. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Pe people... People assume if you say that sanctification is monergistic, that what you mean is that we don't have to do good works. That, right. That's what they assume. Right. And, and, and the, the uh, stunning irony of that is that's exactly what Paul is saying his opponents were accusing him of. Right. So, so we're probably doing something right on that front. Um, I'm not, I, I think it was, I think it was actually Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, if you, uh, if you're not accused of being an antinomian, you're probably not preaching the gospel, right? I, I actually I don't, don't agree with that, but, I, but I understand the sentiment and, and, yes. and, and the fact is like the Roman Catholics accused Calvin and Luther of saying, you're just, you're just giving people a license to sin. And R Luther and Calvin are going, absolutely. No, we're not. And it's funny because the very first, the very first public, it wasn't really a debate, but the very first public debate-ish kind of thing I did was a, a, a dialogue with a guy uh, who had converted to Roman Catholicism. He was part of that wave um, from Southeastern Seminary that they, they wrote that book on about um, people converting to Roman Catholicism. I don't remember what it's called. Don't, don't bother reading it. It's a stupid book. But um, I did this debate with him, and it was on justification. And so we went through the whole discussion, and when we got done, I was describing the way that James uh, talks about justification and faith. And, and I said, you know, basically, like, uh, my point was, look, on the Roman Catholic model, the Roman Catholic model is, is actually encouraging people to sin, right? Because right. you start off, you're baptized, you're in this indelible state of grace, and unless you commit a mortal sin, which you can't do accidentally, it's not possible to do, then you are good to go, right? Because even though you may spend some time in purgatory burning off your sins, eventually you're going to get through that. So as long as you don't commit a mortal sin and cut yourself off from 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 the, the fountains of grace— as long as you don't do that, then you're assured to make it to the end eventually. And I said, the, the reformed position is that if you, you have zero good works, if you do not show fruit, it doesn't mean you're not justified, but it means you have no reason to think you're justified. Right. And I said, so, so reformed Christians out of all Christians, I think, are, are driven to do good works more. Because there is this impulse in us to say, like, I've got to check my fruit. I've got to check my fruit. And that can certainly be taken too far, right? There, there, there are people that are like, no, don't say that. But it's there. Like, you're supposed right. to test yourself and see if you're in the faith. And one of the measures is, am I growing in faith? Am I expressing holiness? Is the fruit of the Spirit present in my life? You have to do that. But at the same time, right, the fruit does not nourish itself. That's that's not how fruit works. The apple doesn't grow itself. The nourishment comes from the tree, and right. the tree grows the apple. The apple is right. the proof that the tree is healthy and has nourished it. So I, I think we, we do need to sort of get past this idea that somehow we contribute to our own sanctification, our own growth. Um, but again, that doesn't mean we have a license not to do good works, to not be growing in holiness. And if we if we aren't, then we have a lot of reasons to be concerned. We should really be careful. Um, we should really be concerned if we we have besetting sins in our lives that there's no evidence that God is is working on those. And maybe that evidence only is that you still retain a disgust for that sin. Maybe that's right. it. Maybe right. that's not there. But right. but the fact is that God will grow fruit in those whom he's chosen. The, the, the amount, the timing, that's all variable. And it may be very small, right? Even the Westminster Confession says like there may be a time where it seems like someone has totally abandoned the faith and then and they haven't. Like we don't know those things. But I, I think you're right. And I think this book does encourage us to say like we need to we need to rethink a little bit, starting with the premise that the growth comes from the Lord, that the, that is God who does these things to us, and that there are there are concrete outcomes that are a result of that in most cases. Um, but yeah, I think that this grace paced life thing, it really does need to start with this understanding of what it even is that we're trying to accomplish and what it even is that uh, we're looking for. Because I think you're right, a lot of Christians either think that they, they that the lack of fruit is not a problem or they think that the they think that a lack of fruit is the biggest problem in the world. Right. It's bad, 
But there are a lot of other things that happen before fruit is discernible that, um, you know, we don't even necessarily see, right? Regeneration is a hidden work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification and, and justification is a hidden work of the Holy Spirit that, that has some things that's tied to temporally, but not necessarily something that we're going to notice or see all the time. Right. And it's a bit of, of kind of this quandary of asking what is, I uh, say it kind of like, don't waste your time. So I'm thinking of, of going back to like way in the beginning when you started with, uh, I think your denial, this idea of like what economists call like the marginal decreasing utility. So like, you know, if you could grow all of the world's food in a plant, in a planter, then you'd be able to do that. You could just add more and more seed and you wouldn't need more and more ground. And there you could grow all this food. That That's an example of how like the more seeds you add at some point, it becomes more beneficial for you to actually add more ground because that's right. how you'll yield a greater harvest. And so in the same way here, here's the thing I question. And, and I'm saying this as a person who's part of a conversation with you about a podcast that is like explicitly theological. What if it's possible that at some point in our lives, we actually need like less hardcore, like explicit theology and more hardcore living out the theology that we should have already known all along. That's not to say that we need to get it right. We do need to get it right. But I think what Dr. Murray is challenging us to is to, at some point, don't pick up another book. Like don't just pick up Boving's Dogmatics because you find it like cerebral stimulating. At some point you need to say, have you practiced? Have you really waded through? Have you really tried to apply what God has already taught you so that you're more loving towards your wife? So that as he challenges elsewhere in this, this whole book where you say, listen, by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things I want to accomplish is I want to be more patient with my coworkers who just drive me up the wall. Yeah. And if we can't get to the point where we're actually investing our first and best resources in that, because our theology, our underpinnings are, are solid and that they are orthodox, then it doesn't matter if you want to pick up more like kind of like cerebral theology on the periphery. It doesn't matter. That's actually in some ways maybe a waste of time. Don't waste your time. Go yeah. after true Christian maturity, which is not just the books you've read or like, you know, like the weird 1975 covers that you can appreciate of like some kind of strange, <laughs> you know, theological printing, but that you are actually living out the Christian walk in a way that expresses your true fidelity to Jesus Christ in a way that brings him glory. Yeah. That's really what we should all be after at the end of the day. And we can confuse ourselves into thinking that I'm doing certain things that look like they're fruit. When at the end of the day, they actually communicate nothing about our actual maturity as it stands with respect to being in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those, one of those topics that I think is, is a perennial topic that Christians need to come back to. Right. Because I, I think not, not that I am perfect or that I ever will be perfect this side of the resurrection, but at least in this part of my life, I feel like I have a pretty good perspective on this right now. I think that the the common pitfalls in Christians, right, is we spend all of our time thinking that we need to know more about God. And then on the flip side, the other ditch on the other side of the road is that we spend all of our time thinking that we need to do more for God. Right. And, yes. and, and we need to know more about God. That's true. We need to do more for God. That's true. Yes. But the, there, there's a middle road somewhere where our knowledge about God and our, our practical devotion and the outflow of that practical devotion to God, there's a middle ground where those things marry together. They harmonize together. And I think we, we went way off of topic from what this chapter is about because he doesn't talk about this explicitly. But I think the whole culmination of the book, it's not so much about balance as though there's some equation that you're trying to, you know, trying to make the, the both things on the side of the equal sign the same. It's really more about the right proportions at the right times and for the right reasons. Right. When you're a seminary student, I was having this conversation actually with someone yesterday at, at this little mini conference. Um when you're a seminary student, it's not healthy for you to be a full-time minister at the same time in most cases, right? Those first couple years of seminary, like the first two years of seminary, you really should be learning the practice or the, the theory behind things, right? right? If you're, if you're, if you're trying to do your ministry at the same time as learning how to do ministry, every bad habit that you make, every bad move you make, a mistake you make in ministry is going to ingrain itself into the theory that you're learning, Right. And every theory that you learn, whether it's good or bad, is going to affect your ministry. And so it creates this reinforcing cycle of things that isn't necessarily healthy. And so a lot of times the best thing to do and most seminaries don't have you doing a practicum or an internship the first year or two of your seminary experience. 
a lot of times the best thing you can do is you can devote yourself radically to study. And you, you, you go to the church, you serve the church, you, you are an active member of the church, you help where you can, but you, you set boundaries for that. And that's a balance in that part of your life that's important. And that, that might be the same when you're a new Christian, right? When I was a brand new Christian, I threw away every CD that I have that was secular music. Not At the time, I was, I was being a legalist. I thought that was the holy, righteous thing to do. I thought that was the expectation of Christians. I don't think it was. I don't think it is. But... It was a good thing. It was a healthy thing for me to do at the time because I, I didn't need distractions. I didn't need to have these other things in my life that were distracting me, right? I didn't read any books except the Bible for like the first year that I was a Christian. I read nothing else, even my schoolwork. That wasn't good, but I, I didn't even read my books for school. I just read the Bible. So there's different phases in your life, different times that you run into where you have to have different balances, right? I have a friend who's a new father. Right now is probably not the best time for him to pick up the dogmatics and try to work his way through it. That's probably not going to be a successful thing. Maybe right now you need to read some parenting books. Maybe right now you need to take a break from reading because you're so tired you can't even think straight, right? There's, there's all these different things that come at us and this reset process. And this is, this is maybe a good place for us to stop. I was a little bit hard on, on David Murray early on, but he is clear in the chapter that you are going to have to pull back into the repair bag. You're right. going to get dinged up as you go. Like you're going to get beat up a little bit as you go. He he talks about like this example of Steve Jobs that I, I don't know how much of that is necessary, but you you have to go into this. Was I reading something else? Is that in the chapter or did I make that up? <laughs> I was questioning what you were talking about. I feel like maybe I made that up. I think that's a different book that I was reading. See, this is what I'm talking about. I got too much going on. No, yeah, I feel not, all, no, no, sure. it's here. I'm looking is at it? it right now. Okay. Okay. We're back on track here. I totally lost where I was going with that. This is amazing. Amazing podcasting. No safety net. My, my point, I think, was that you're going to go through these phases in your life. And this process that he has led us through in this book, which I said earlier, I think is best done with a partner or with a peer or with a group of people. It's best to do this with people who can right. look into your life that you trust to say, you missed a big dent in the back fender, right? You, you missed a spot. It's someone who can say that to you and who you will say, yeah, I guess I did. If you told me I did, I trust you. I guess I did. Let me go back and look again. This process is something that most of us will have to go through many times, right? A new baby comes along, a new job comes along, a new ministry opportunity comes along, whatever it is, you may have to pull back in and go, all right, I got to readjust my balances. I got to readjust my priorities. Right now, my theological study needs to go on hold. Then maybe you come to a, a phase in life where you get a new ministry job and you realize I got a lot of theological learning that I'm, I'm, I'm gapped on or I forgot a lot of things, right? Someday I would like to go into ministry. I'm going to need to read, address my Greek. I've lost most of my Greek since seminary. I'm going to have to take the time to study that. Right now, it might not be the best time in my life, but another point in my life, it will be. So I think that this has been a helpful exercise, but I don't want us to think, and this is kind of why I was a little bit hard on him. I don't want us to think this is a one and done process. Course, it has an right. end point, right? You finish the process, but you're likely going to have to go back and do the process or part of the process again at some other point. Right. In many ways, that's the very rhythm that he's talking about, isn't it? It's not just, he introduces a rhythm and then he says like, well, this rhythm isn't once and done. You right. need to constantly go back. And some I think in ways is like to give yourself liberty to say that that's okay. That like you're going to have times and seasons in your life where you're going to feel like you're in the desert spiritually or you're just going to be stressed out of your mind at work. And yeah. what you need in those moments is to kind of come back to some of the things that he's talked about here. So whether, as you've said, by your example, you're a seminary student or you're taking on a new job or you're growing your family and that's new as well. I think that everything that you've said there is, is really helpful. I like the quote from another, like maybe perhaps influential work, because this reminded me of something you said when you said, you know, everything you do, everything you undertake. So let me quote this. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Every, every single day, every you word you make. say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. <laughs> oh, I want you to sing to me, Jesse. <laughs> Don't, Sing to me, Don't Jesse. even tempt me right now, because you know I will go straight into the police. We just totally just, this podcast just turned into Fast God stuff. We're, we're writing country Did songs. It? Did we're it? We're singing well, the police. I guess it's, so. Yeah, this is good stuff. Well, I hope that people have enjoyed what we can really only properly describe as the definitive series <laughs> on Dr. Murray's book, 
reset. But here's the thing. Like, I think we embarked on this journey. We'd like to do the book cast from time to time. We've done book casts of all kinds of degrees. Some things that I think some would consider more heady and theological with respect to like, it's just kind of like esoteric connection to things that we're talking about. And this one was decidedly different because it was all about, in some ways more different than we expected because it was all about how are we actually living from day to day? What are our, what does our Monday morning look like in light of this great faith that we say we espouse? And so I've actually in many ways found this to be more challenging than I thought because he's really after our hearts. He's after the heart that is connected, the heart that is truly in Christ and what that behavior looks like, all of the outworkings of that. And it's just so easy for me, at least, to have conversations with you and say like, yeah, absolutely, this is what I believe. And then when Monday morning at 6 a.m. rolls around, so much of that can just easily fly out the window and he's saying, no, listen, if you're the kind of Christian that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, that wants to embody and internalize and metabolize, to use my overused word, <laughs> everything that he taught us, then this is what your life ought to look like. It's a grace-paced life. Yeah. And he is not wrong. And so I think we're going to constantly, this is the kind of thing where you read it and you say, man, I got to spend my whole life recovering from everything I tried to learn here in this book. And so we ought to get after that thing. So I hope that somebody's going to take whoever in love has been predestined to win the book that's being given away here, that they're going to have a really great conversation with somebody else. And that together, either in a group or in pairs, they're really going to get after this Christian life. I hope that they will do that, but I hope that everybody else that's listening that's also been metabolizing this with us as well is just going to try to get after that because... I've been blessed and it doesn't stop here, right? This is not like a, Hey, we're done. Congratulations. You graduated. Right. This is yeah. you're truly reset now. Like somebody's going to like, I mean, I have like a calculator that like every so month, a couple months, like I just hit that button. That's like, I, I get the pin out, I get the pin out and I click that thing in the back that's hidden and I say like, boop, you need to be reset. And that's kind of <laughs> how I feel like we're going to have to accomplish this. I have to kind of like take this thing and say like, somebody needs to poke us in the back. That's weird. So he's going to have to like <laughs> essentially say to us, you need to be reset with some kind of frequency because that's what makes sure that we, we become centered and that we remain balanced. So you have to reset your calculator every month. <laughs> so here's that. Let me just well, say hold this. on. I'm, I'm very okay. confused about listen, this here. Listen, I, this was so surprising to me. This is so surprising to me. And I was, I was shocked by this. So I had to take this big test recently, which I've, I've quoted before when I went in to take this big test, like at a testing center, when I was, I, 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 this is by God's grace. Like I want to, I want to testify to how good God is to me and preparing me for all areas of life. And here's one that is totally unexpected. Right before I took this test, I went online to refresh myself with like, I have settings on this calculator that I've put on, they're customized for me, but that make the processing of this information and taking the questions much easier. So for some reason, I was, I was compelled, and that was the right word, like compelled to go and make sure that I understood how to get my settings back to where they were. I don't know why. When I showed up at the test, the first thing the proctor asked me to do is he said, pull out the calculator, reset it all back to factory settings. And I was like, <laughs> sweet Maria. Actually, that's too Catholic. Praise God (laughs) that like I knew then how to get back to the things that I wanted. And then when I left, here's what's so weird. When I left and I was done, like the test was over. I handed in my scratch paper. I saw the dude shred it. He said to me, show me your calculator. And I was like, okay. And he's like, reset it again. I actually said to him, why? What do you think I'm going to go do with this? And he's like, that's just, that's just the policy. So like, I think actually all of us, need this kind of good resetting. It's like the level, it's setting us back to base. It's setting us back to what is normal, should be normative in our worldview. And we need, even though we say we're Christians, we need to come back to that normative orthodox. Like, isn't it kind of scraping away the things that's like not orthodox in some ways? Like coming back to this idea that we're contingent, the basic things. Can I quote Alistair Begg as we close here? Is that okay with you? (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it. Can, can you just do it for me? Cause you know where I'm no, going. No, I don't think I can actually. No, I, it's I'm, I'm the main things are the plain yes. things and the plain things are the main things. Yes. But, but how do we make those main things? The plain now, things. Now how do it in a Scottish things? accent, Jesse. Do it, do it. Oh no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I don't want to offend the Scots. That's a dangerous can we get task. Alistair Begg on our podcast. And we was like, we reach out to him and we say, we want to interview him, but all we do is get him to say that thing. And then we're like, well, this has been great. <laughs> 
I mean, I feel like I could probably just get a sound clip if that's all we're going for. <laughs> no, I want it to be like... You want it live? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. I'll have our people call his people. Okay, because he's like a brilliant guy. Right. And I just think it would be hilarious if like he hears and we're just like, that's... We get, we get him to say it and then he's like, that's the, all you guys wanted from me? And we're that like, was the yeah. only question. That's yeah. the only question, Alistair. Yeah. That, yeah. That's it. So, but like the question is <laughs> to, to Dr. Murray's credit, like how do we get to that point? Like everybody yeah. says that, or at least I say that a bunch of times, like, yeah, it's easy. Make the main things the plain things. But the question is, how do we actually do that? Is it not by in some way, like constantly resetting back to yeah. the, the central things of the scriptures, things like how much we sleep, how well we eat, how we take care of our relationships, how we understand resurrection, lowercase resurrection in our temporal lives is it not all of those things and that's where i think david murray propels us forward in a way that's absolutely appropriate and that we tend to undervalue yeah yep you're not wrong so just a reminder everybody check it out reformbrotherhood.com slash contest uh you can have three ways to enter three options to win uh and uh hopefully somebody will i mean somebody will obviously somebody (laughs) will not hopefully. I mean, like, unless, like, the, the internet crashes forever, which would be terrible. I, I just went to a dark place. Um, <laughs> anyway, reformbrotherhood.com slash contest. We will draw a winner. Uh, the the uh, entries are open until midnight, I believe, Eastern time on uh, April 17th, which is the Saturday after this episode releases. And we'll announce us a uh, winner on the 21st. And again, thank you to Crossway for providing a copy yes. of the book for us to give away. We appreciate their generosity. And uh, we would encourage you, if you have not bought the book and you uh, want to, then go ahead and buy it. Uh, Crossway has it for sale on their website. Otherwise, you can get it at other booksellers. And uh, yeah, this is one of those things. I, I think a, your your uh, calculator analogy is probably good. I actually think of it more like uh, I try to do like a system reset on my computer like every yes. six months. Yes. Right? Yes. Because computers get all this like this bad programming like floating zeros that that don't like ghosts in the machine kind of stuff that like your computer just sort of gets clunky and slowed down and like you it's amazing how nice and fast and like unencumbered your computer is when you hit that done that system reset Um, i think of this kind of like that is i got to get myself back to ground zero and then i can start to rebuild again right every time i've reset my computer refreshed my computer i find that i install different apps i I install them in a different way because i find i don't use some apps anymore i found new apps since then that i want to use new versions of apps that i i didn't realize i was using an old version but since i had to go to the website and download it again i mean there's all these benefits to doing it and i think that this process is similar for us in that we strip away the things that are there we strip away all this accretions that we've picked up over whatever amount of time it is and then as we start to figure out what it what needs to go back we start to put stuff back together it gets put back together with with almost just the essentials the stuff that's really yes. important gets put back in exactly. so check it out pick up the book enter to win uh we're looking forward to whatever our next project is whatever our next suggestion is don't forget the voicemails uh 607-444-2767 we'd love to get some questions uh some some short brief questions try to shoot for like 30 to 40 seconds for your question we'd love to do some episodes with with some listener voices involved and i think with that jesse until next time honor everyone love the brotherhood (laughs) 